0: You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to the Life Tree Community Church Podcast. All right, so uh, this summer we've been exploring the Psalms. It's our summer of Psalms, and uh, today is the last one, and uh, we're going to, uh, as you know, you've, if you've been with us if, you know, at, at all, you know this is the way we do it. We're going to read it, and then we're going to get some context to it, and then we're going to reread it. And hopefully at that time it means something new to us. Um, so it says Psalm 127. It'll be on the screen behind me. You can read it on your if you got a Bible or a device that you're reading it on, you can you can go ahead. Um, it's a song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. It says it's a psalm of Solomon. So written by Solomon. So here we go. Psalm 127, one. It reads like this. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted unless the Lord protects a city guarding it with centuries will do no good it is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night anxiously working for food to eat for God gives rest to his loved ones children are a gift from the Lord they are a reward from him children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand how joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. Let's just take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. but we believe that it is your divine word to us. It's meant to guide us. It's useful to instruct, to teach, to correct, to guide us through this life. And so God, would your word, as we, as we just reflect on it and examine it, Lord, would it examine us? Would we give you permission to look into our lives and to guide and direct us. May your word be alive in us this, this night. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so Psalm 127 is included in a group of 15 psalms, beginning in Psalm 120 and going to Psalm 134, and they are known as the Psalms of Ascent. Anybody ever hear of, hear of the, the Psalms of Ascent? Four of you. All right. That's good. That's good. Hey, we're getting information tonight. That's good. So it was written by Solomon, um, son of King David, if you remember. So King David, we've talked about him. So his is his son. Solomon was the king that followed David. His mother was Bathsheba. So if you know the story, there's a, it's a whole interesting story that goes into this. We're not going to have time to get into that, but just so you know. Uh, at his father's instruction, Solomon built the temple. In Jerusalem, David said, hey, I want you to build this temple. I wanted to build it. God wouldn't let me do it. I've killed too many people, and so you're going to be the one to do it. Here's all the materials you're going to need. This is your job to do it, and Solomon did that, and that temple was built in Jerusalem, and what happened is that each year, the Jewish people would, uh, who lived outside Jerusalem would take a pilgrimage at three different times a year for three different festivals. They would they'd make this pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship, you know, for like these holy assemblies, sacred assemblies they would gather. Um, and Jerusalem was literally up on a hill. So these would be psalms of ascent. So they would sing these songs as they were going up to Jerusalem. Um, but these are not simply songs for climbing hills. <laughs> so if you're, if you're a hiker, uh, it's a good song for you. It's a, it's a song for going up. But it's not just about physically going up a hill. In um, this awesome book about the Psalms, um, it's called *A Long Obedience in the Same Direction* by Eugene Peterson. Uh, my mom actually bought that book for me, um, and uh, he calls these songs for the road. Songs for the road. All right, anybody take some road trips? You put together playlists. You know, you get, you get some good tunes, right? There's some, there's some good songs that are good for driving, right? And there are songs are just not good for driving. You're like, what is this? Get this next, right? And you, I remember back in the day, you know, making cassette tapes with a mix for the road for when my family, we would drive to like Florida. And that was a long drive. And we did not stop in hotels. We were through the night, you know, in a minivan. I'm laying in the back. I have two sisters, five of us piled into this car, driving through the night, but I have my Sony Walkman. And... You know, kids, it was great. It was awesome. And you could just pause and rewind and, zzz, zzz, you know, you just. but you had your, you know, your car ride mix that you'd make. And, you know, if you're a little older than that, maybe I don't know if you made mixes on eight tracks or something. I don't know if you can do that. Um, I think cassettes were the first time we had kind of that access to do that. But you'd put together this playlist of songs for the journey. Well, that's what these psalms are. They're songs for the journey. Um, and they were the songs that the people would sing as they were both literally ascending this hill to Jerusalem, but also as they were walking up to worship God. It wasn't just, um, it wasn't just about the geography. Eugene Peterson goes on to say, this trip to Jerusalem acted out a life lived upward towards God. He says, picture the Hebrews singing these 15 psalms as they left their routines and made their way through towns and villages, farms and cities, and as pilgrims made their way up to Jerusalem. He says it's the best background for understanding life as a faith journey. So imagine that you're on a journey. Like we're all on a road trip and it's just called life. <laughs> that these songs are the soundtrack to the journey. Does that make sense? That's what these, that's what these are for. Paul Tournier in his book, A Place for You, describes this experience as being in-between, as the in-between place. Between the time you leave home, but you haven't yet arrived at your destination, it's the in-between place. Between the time you leave adolescence and arrive at adulthood, when, when is that? You sort of, you're, you know, we got tweens as a word now, but there's all sorts of tweens in our life, right? There's the time we leave doubt and arrive at faith. It's not just always instant. There's this space in between. He says it's like the time when a trapeze artist lets go of the bar, but they haven't yet grabbed the next one. They're sort of in this in-between space. He says it's a time of danger but of expectation, of uncertainty and excitement, of extraordinary aliveness in this in-between place. He says Christians will recognize how appropriately these psalms may be sung between the times. Between the time we leave the world's environment and arrive at the Spirit's assembly. Between the time we leave sin and arrive at holiness. Between the time we leave home and arrive at the gathering called church. Between the time we leave law and arrive at faith. There are songs of transition. There are these hymns that provide courage, support and inner direction when we're on this journey to God. We all live in the land in between, don't we? We're kind of constantly in between. Like, we're always there. We're always coming from somewhere and headed somewhere. We're leaving the summer. Sorry. Some of you kicking and screaming, but we are leaving summer. I mean, everybody, that's why... Gary said, we should just move to LBI for the, for the weekend because that's where everybody is right now. Let's just go to the beach and have service there because everybody's still there. He's trying to squeeze every last ounce of summer because we know that it's September on the calendar, but we're still trying to hold on to summer, but it's coming. It's coming. We got Labor Day Monday and then back to work, and there goes the summer. Like If you wore white today, good job because your last opportunity. <laughs> you just can't wear white after Labor Day, right? That's what they say. For me, I'm leaving raising children, and I'm entering raising teens. Oh, I'm on the edge of having an adult child, kind of. You know, he's, he's not even here. Like he's, like, he's camping with friends, and I'm like, oh, this is weird. All right, he can drive, and he can do these things. I'm in between. still living in my house, but he's on this way. I'm in this in-between place. I've had, <laughs> in the last month or two, I've had more doctor visits than I care to care to even mention, I'm clearly leaving the carefree chapter of young adulthood, and I am firmly entering middle age. Like, here we go. I, got, I went to the doctor. He's like, yeah, you should see these five other doctors. And I'm like, oh, gosh. Like, we, we're in between. It's not where I was, but I'm not where I'm going either. We're leaving a pandemic-influenced and, and saturated, dominated time and into a reconstructed world. We're in between. So let me ask you, in regards specifically to your faith, in regards to your faith, where are you coming from? And where are you headed? If you could define just for yourself, where are you right now? What's in your rearview mirror? What's the story of your faith been? And more importantly, where are you going next? Where are you headed? Peterson identifies two types of people in regards to this journey of faith. He says there are either tourists or there are pilgrims. You can be a tourist or you can be a pilgrim. Tourists are those who are simply observing, right? They're looking at faith from the comfort of their car as they drive through, as they visit. They're just checking it out, but they have no intention of leaving the safety and familiarity of where they've been. They're going back when they're done. They just come to check it out for a little while. You went to tour someplace, but you had no intention of staying Pilgrims on the other end of the spectrum are those who have burned the ships. They're not going back. There is nothing to go back to. I am now looking for something different, something new, something that God has for me. They have set out on a journey for a better place. He writes that these songs are simply, and he quotes William Faulkner, he says, these, these songs are not monuments, but footprints. Because a monument only says, at least I got this far. While the footprint says, this is where I was when I moved again. We're on our journey somewhere. We're not staying here. We will never be in this day again. We will never be where we are again. We're in between. So the Psalms were written for the pilgrims who are sincerely on this journey of faith and who find themselves in between, no longer where they were, but not where they're yet going. So let me ask you, can you relate to that? Do you feel like that could be you? You aren't where you were, but you're not necessarily where you hope to be either. So the reality is that in-between place, you know what can happen if you stay there for any length of time? (laughs) It can get wearying. You can grow tired of being in that in-between place. It can be stressful, it can be discouraging. We can lose hope in that in-between place feeling like I don't, I'm not where I was, but I'm, how long until I get to the next place? The people who sang these somehow hung on to hope. They somehow kept going. They soldiered on. They never quit. And I, I wonder how. How did these people sing these songs? And I think the, the key is in the lyrics themselves, in the words of this psalm. So think about this now. That's the context. Songs for people who are leaving a place, on a place, not meant to just visit, but they were meant to, to go to a new reality, to find God in new ways. And this is what they sing. They sing, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with centuries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. See, Solomon lists three Different occupations here. Three different tasks that really many of us fill daily. There are responsibilities that you probably shoulder, and it's these the builder, the guard, and the provider. The builder, the guard, and the provider. So let's take a look. Solomon talks about building. Now he's talking about building houses. This is the Solomon who built the house of God. So he knows a lot about building. But it's not just about building structures. It can be about a vision or a dream you have about what's not reality yet. It doesn't have to be a physical structure. What are you building? What's your vision? Where do you hope to be in five years from now or 10 years from now or 20 years from now? Some of you just hope to be alive 20 years from now. Like, where where do you hope to be? For those who are younger, the odds are many of those visions in your life are still yet to be realized. The older you get, you've started to check off some of those boxes, but at different stages of our life, at every stage, we have a vision for what's next. So what we discover here is this wonderful truth that our visions and our dreams, you ready? They are not dependent on us. We can build, and we should. But God is the great builder. We just get to be part of the process. It's not our job to do it all. And this from the guy who built the temple. Like he did a lot of work. And he says, you know what? I built, but God built more. I worked, but God did more. See, and what God builds, it lasts. You can spend a lifetime building something could be a career, a reputation, a family, an inheritance. But if God is not the lead builder, what we're learning here is that you will have wasted your life. Jesus tells us, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. When the the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. See, as we are in this in-between place, between our dreams from what we see, but we're not yet there, we're not fully there, and we are, we are, we're building something, we're we are working towards a vision and realizing something, here's the encouragement, submit that to God. Let him direct the timeline and the master plan, because let me tell you, God is an expert builder. <laughs> he, he knows exactly what he's doing. So if you have a vision for your life, Just remember, unless the Lord builds it, you will have wasted your time. But he says, hey, I love building things. Build it on me. Build it on me and it will last. And Solomon also talks about guarding. It's typically a a house is built to protect people. Right? That's what you have, that's what houses are for. Right? He says to protect a city. Houses are there to protect people. We want to protect those we love. We will do anything to guard, to defend those we care about, right? Wouldn't you do anything for those you love? Like, And we should. That is loving and good and honorable. But this, this psalm just reminds us that the protection of those we love is not dependent on us. We can protect, but God is the great protector. We just get to stand next to him. It's like, you know, if we said, hey, let's, you want to have a fight, me and some, you know, like most people would take those odds against me, like, yeah, I'll, I'll fight you, right? But then what if I had, like, you know, Mike Tyson next to me, right? i get to stand with him. and I'd be like, yeah, you scared now. It's not because of me. <laughs> it's because of the guy next to me. God is our protector. He's the great protector. I get to stand next to him. It's not our job to make sure everyone we love is safe. I hope you hear this. <laughs> so, I speak it to myself right now. I got Life 360. I look at my kids where they are all the time. I'm paying attention. I, I, I have that same concern for people. Like I'm, I'm checking in on people. I do all those things. But it's not my job to make sure everyone I love is safe. I need to protect, yes, but God protects more. The protection, this is really important. The protection of God does not mean that we will avoid all pain and all suffering. In his word, God actually lets us know to expect suffering. It's part of life in this world. The most important thing to guard is actually not our bodies. Jesus tells us, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. Eh, whatever, just a body. He says, they can't touch your soul, though. They can't touch your soul. See, we're not guarding just the physical. We're guarding hearts and minds and souls. The protection of God means that as we rest in Him, the deepest, most valuable parts of Him are completely safe in the shadow of His wings. You can spend a lifetime trying to protect those you love from everything that might harm them, everything that might damage them, corrupt them. But if God is not the lead security guard, you will have wasted your life. This was fascinating to me. Now, this is really interesting. Towards the end of his time on earth, Jesus prayed this prayer. Listen to these words. He says, now I'm departing from the world, and they, meaning his disciples, the people that Jesus loved, he says, they are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now listen to what he prays. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Jesus prayed for you and for me that God would protect us. Jesus prayed for you that God would protect you. Think about that. Jesus literally said, God, protect them. I just want to remind us that that tells me protecting his children is a supreme priority on God's to-do list. If his son is praying it, it's high on the list of God, which means God says, I am listening. If, do you think God answers your prayers? Do you think he answers Jesus' prayers? (laughs) Like, and Jesus prayed, God protect him. As we are in this in-between place with our concern for those we love, let me just encourage you, submit that concern to God. Let him give you peace that he cares more about their well-being than you ever will. It's the heart of God to protect. And then Solomon talks about providing. He says, if you build a house, right, and you fill it with family... What do we know they're going to do? They're going to eat. Oh, they're going to eat. They never stop eating. Goodness, the children never stop eating. Most of our days are spent working so that we can provide for the needs of those around us. That's why we work. I mean, some of you work just for the fun of it, I guess. But most of us (laughs) work because we need to eat. We need to pay for the house and we need to provide. It's the daily sustenance that we need. And most of our days are spent working that. We work long hours to ensure that there is enough. Isn't that what we do? We spend long hours that there's enough. The pressure that mounts has continued to mount over the years and we sacrifice our time and our effort so that those needs are met. And let me tell you, most of that work is done out of love, and out of sacrifice, and it's responsible, and it's honorable, and we do it for those people around us. But this psalm reminds us that provision for those we love and even for ourselves is not dependent on us. We can labor to provide, and we should. But God is the great provider. We just get to help with distribution. It's not our job to make sure there's enough. Never been our job to make sure there's enough. We labor, he labors more. And what God provides, it's always enough. Always enough. You could spend a lifetime trying to accumulate enough for all the needs of those you love. You can, as the Psalms say, work from morning till night. You can work through the night, no vacations. You could work around the clock until you can't go anymore. You could absolutely burn yourself to the ground. But if God is not the lead provider, you will have wasted your life. It's like there's this huge message God wants to send our society, our culture here in New Jersey. Wake up. Would you get it? You are killing yourself and you don't have to. You can can absolutely dream and build. You can absolutely protect. You can absolutely work to provide. But at the end of the day, that pressure's not on you. I got it. Jesus says this in Matthew, and we've talked about this a few weeks ago. That's why I tell you, he says, if I was like in New Jersey, that's why I told you this already. Not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Remember, look at the birds. We've been looking at the birds for like two months now. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds. And look, I'm wearing birds on my shirt, see? I got hummingbirds here. we got hummingbirds in our backyard right now. we got a little feeder. They're awesome. They're very really tiny. And God says, look at those birds. They don't plant. But your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Skip down to verse 31. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? I got to work, work, work. He says, no. He says, those things dominate. Dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, of people who don't recognize that God is good, and he's got them. They dominate their thoughts because that pressure never goes away. There's never enough. He says but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So as you're in this in-between place with the awareness of all that is needed every day, that the needs are right in front of you, submit that to God. Let him give you freedom to, ready, rest in trust. Because he's your provider. It doesn't mean you don't have to work. It just means you don't carry the burden. He's got it. We still got to do those things. We still build and protect and we still work. But God says you don't carry the burden. And to top it all off, it seems, it seems a little weird. Solomon starts talking about kids. He like, starts talking about like children. It's like, okay, should these be like two separate things? He's talking about you know children. He says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. But there's actually a connection here because as as an example of all that God does, Solomon chooses to highlight the gift of children. It's like an example here. Like, let me give you a picture of what this all looks like. He says, the gift of children, they're the ones your homes are usually built for. They're the ones who need protection. They're the ones who require food daily, even hourly, Sometimes every 10 minutes. (laughs) And he says, Those children are a gift from God. No matter what you do, I know we're going to have some scientists in the room, but no matter what you do, you don't have the power to create children. (laughs) Some couples have experienced the pain of that truth. The gift of life is in God's hands. And we can do everything possible, but at the end of the day, it's up to Him. It's up to Him. Eugene Peterson remarks, the entire miracle of procreation and reproduction requires our participation, but hardly in the form of what we call work. (laughs) And it's the same truth. We get to participate, but we don't get to decide it. We build, we guard, we provide, yet God is the one who actually makes it happen. And he is so good that when we rest, he blesses us. And blesses us with those things that are often the very things that we dream about and care for, the things that we work for, those blessings. And then at the end, he says, and guess what? Those kids, those blessings, they often turn out to be the things that protect you later when you're at the gates and people come against you and you go, hey, you're going to mess with, you're messing with me, you're messing with all my family here. See all these kids and they come behind you. My dad used to have a shirt, say, you messing with me. on the back said, you messing with the whole family. It was a great basketball shirt. I loved it. Um, As we journey towards God, he's telling you, I got you. And not only that, as you're trusting me through this process, I will bless you. As you rest and trust me, I will bless you. So what? So what? Following God in our current world is still an uphill climb. We may not be physically walking uphill, but choosing a life of faith without question is an uphill climb in this world. Yes? These psalms, and this one in particular, reminds us, they encourage us, you keep walking. And if you will keep walking, guess what? One day you will arrive. You will no longer be in that in-between place. But you will get to that destination. We will be pilgrims no longer. We are pilgrims here. We don't belong here. This isn't home. We are passing through. But this hill in front of us that we call faith, that's worth climbing. It's worth climbing. So today, perhaps this is a a great opportunity as we kind of turn the page on summer and about to embark on a new season. Maybe just to pause and renew our commitment to the journey. Say, at this point, wherever you find yourself, I'm going to renew my commitment to keep walking. Even if it feels like uphill. You know, your parents always had, you know, they walked to school uphill both ways, right? Always felt like it was uphill. Sometimes life feels like it's always uphill, and you don't get that downhill break. I want to recognize and encourage you. You are not where you were. You are not where you will be yet. But if you will trust God, he will build. He will protect. He will provide. He will bless you along the way and someday you will say, here we are. He was faithful. He was faithful. He did it all. I didn't do this. I didn't have the strength to do this, but he did it. He got me here. If we will rest in that trust. So I'm going to close with communion. And communion, hopefully everybody's been served, and if you didn't, weren't served and you'd like to be, uh, please just raise your hand and our ushers will just make sure that you have some. There, there are some, so right here and right here. Keep your hands up until our ushers get you um, and make sure that everybody has some. Communion for us is a uh, It's open to everyone, whether you're a member of Life Tree or not. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you are more than welcome to participate. But communion is a corporate action. It's something we do together. just one more up here. Thank you. See, what I love about communion is it's the great equalizer. No matter how rich you are, how poor you are, how strong or weak, how smart, how not smart. No matter who you are, we all need Jesus. None of us has what it takes to do this life on our own. See, communion just reminds us that we are all together in this thing. Like that we're all family, and God loves us, and he loves us all. See, here's the thing. God gave his life And it reminds us that as we do communion, know what it reminds us? It reminds us that we have a role and God has a role. (laughs) In this, even in this, there's partnership, right? There's partnership. He gave his life. We respond in faith. We continue walking. Our trust in him, it brings him joy. See, the bread, it represents God's body. Jesus' body that he did what we could not do. It's the same story we've been talking about. Jesus did what we couldn't do. We couldn't forgive ourselves. We couldn't pay the debt. It was going to be crushing. Our sin, it was too much for us. But he says, I will live that life. I will pay your penalty. I will do in the flesh what you couldn't do. Can't save ourselves. We actually do harm to ourselves when we try. We attempt to take God's place. See, there are those who try, who really try to do this life without Jesus who say, I don't need Jesus. And they try and do it themselves. John Stott says this, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. And God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives that belong to God alone and God accepts penalties that belong to man alone. How good is God? How good is God that he would do for us and we don't deserve it. (laughs) But he says, I love you so much, I'll do it for you anyway. I'll do it for you anyway. He does for us what we could never do. It reminds us who we are and who God is. We need him to do what only he can do. And he loves us so much that he did it. And the cup, it represents Jesus' blood. And this is where we get to participate. See, because we get to choose if we'll receive what God wants to give us. We can accept Jesus' sacrifice for us and receive the forgiveness he offers, or we can say, no, thank you, and try to prove that, God, I don't need you. We don't have to. God says, you do not have to accept what I've done for you. You get to, (laughs) but you don't have to. See, so in receiving communion, in honoring communion, this is the walking. This is the faith step. We're saying, God, I accept that you did for me what I couldn't do, and I accept that I need you and that I will trust you and that you do more for me than I could ever do for myself. So in receiving communion, we're saying to God, I accept you, I need you, and I'm going to do my part. See, Jesus says the only thing you need to do is believe. That's it. I'll do the rest, but you need to believe. That's up to us. That's our part in this. So communion, we do this every month. It's a holy moment. It's a sacred act. Truly, God does what we could never do, and we get the choice to respond or not. So I invite you, we're going to take communion here, receive this together. And I want you to just, let's let this be our collective commitment to renew ourselves to walking and ascending up that hill until the day we see him face to face. So I'm going to invite Nikki to come on up and play and we're just going to take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Lord, we don't deserve you continuing to stick around for us, but Lord, we can't push you away. You're relentless after us. And Lord, I'm so thankful that you took our place. You did for us what we couldn't do. Lord, now it's our, cho- our chance, our, our choice here. I want to encourage you, right where you are, just take a moment and just tell God whatever you feel like you need to say, whether you need to just confess something to Him between you and Him right now. God, we confess that perhaps we haven't been walking that journey and acting more like tourists, just passing through and not taking it serious. God, we want to be pilgrims, journeyers. We're on our way. We're in the in-between space right now, but we're on our way and we're coming. I just encourage you to renew your commitment to follow God, to keep walking towards him. Let's just invite you to take the bread right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this bread. We thank you for what it represents, Lord, that you did for us what, what only you could do what we couldn't do for ourselves. God, I thank you. You are so good. Let us be aware of your goodness. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's eat together. Let's take the cup. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this cup. It symbolizes, Lord, your great sacrifice for us, but also, Lord, our choice, our participation in this. Lord, I ask that this right now, this moment today would be our moment of renewal, a moment of commitment, Lord, that this would be an altar, Lord, a place that we we consecrate to you, Heavenly Father. And God, I ask, we together would receive your promise to do for us what we can't do, and that we will keep walking through each and every day that you give us. It's in your good name that we pray. Amen. Let's drink.